0: Hello and welcome to the Landmark Theaters Film Club podcast. Today's episode features actor-screenwriter Mindy Kaling and actors Ike Barinholtz and Paul Walter Hauser talking about their film Late Night with moderator Scott Mance. Due to a microphone mishap the sound quality of the first half of this conversation is a bit rough but stick with it as it does improve around the nine-minute mark. This conversation was recorded during the film's opening weekend at the Landmark in Los Angeles. They uh, say, write what you know, and how were you able to take all of your experiences uh, of working in late night, working in a writer's room, and your <coughs> experience breaking through, and, and putting it into just one, you know, ninety-six minute movie?
1: Well, it was uh, it was really fun because I had been working had been writing on the office. i worked on this room for eight years. And I And both of those shows were so funny, and uh, they're both workplace shows, but there was so much that I hadn't been able to explore about my personal experience of coming up in the business. And I really wanted to write about that. And I also wanted to write this this character for Emma Thompson, like very specific, and I've been thinking about it for years and years. So uh, when I thought of her as this kind of character, in this world, I was like, oh, this, this is great. There's a place for both of our characters to live. And it was really a joy to work on. It took me a really long time
0: to write it, but it was so fun. You know, I did, Paul, but you know, when you read a screenplay like this, that it's ultimately just a funny, uplifting, inspiring film, but it also it also has a lot to say, and it's also about just sort of the changing landscape of the business and how, how everything changes so quickly. What, what were your first impressions when you read this amazing screenplay?
2: Uh, well, uh, Mindy showed it to me when we were like season five of the Mindy Project, and uh, I, I, I was so uh, happy for my friends, but also very jealous. Uh,
3: it's so
2: good. And a lot of times, you know, when you look at a movie, at least when I look at a movie, I think like if it's a comedy, like am I laughing right during it? And also like, can you visualize it like being made? A lot of movies you read, really, like, I don't see how this gets made. Uh, but this, like, it was the clearest path. You're like, oh my God, this this makes perfect sense. And then she said, she's like, yeah, I want to, I want to uh, make this movie with Emma Thompson. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm gonna go
0: play basketball with Michael Jordan. So <laughs> you know, it's
2: so nice to want things. And yeah,
0: but I think just a
2: testament to her that <laughs> I think other people read it and Emma Thompson read it and was like, yeah, now let's do this. And like, uh, I feel like. A year or so after you showed it to me, we were in Brooklyn together hanging out with John Lithgow. <laughs> Uh,
3: When I got the script, <laughs> I just remember thinking this is great! I what I liked about the screenplay in specific to your he answer, Scott, is that um there were characters that were all memorable. I was casting them in my head while I'm reading it. Like, yeah. oh, this is great, that's great, this could be so and so. Um, and it had kind of a fun, like, Sorkin y vibe of like, there are little jokes that are just like there for whoever catches it. It's not like everything was so bombastic and poised. It was just like this living, breathing workplace environment, uh, which she was able to capture really honestly. You
0: know, when you, the first time I saw the film, I was really taken by this cow effortlessly, the movie talks about like ageism, womanhood, uh, diversity uh, in, in the workplace, and how important was it for you to, to bring all of these things, let alone one of them, into one really tight screenplay like this?
1: Well, it's, I have so many, all the issues you're talking about are, are incredibly interesting to me because I'm affected by them personally, but you know, and we've talked about this too, I really wanted to write a movie that was funny and really relatable to everyone you know so often when you're uh, a writer or a woman of color there's this idea that you have like a indeed, you want to be speaking to one niche audience and it's not like I don't think that niche is important it's incredibly they're incredibly close to my heart young women of color and telling that story but I I really wanted this to be as broadly appealing as a Mike Nichols movie as a working girl as a James L Brooks movie but just have characters that don't get to play the lead play the and I think audiences are really smart. And audiences want to see things, um, different perspectives on things. We just don't always give it to them. And yeah. I just thought this was an easy thing to do. And like, who was going to argue that Emma Thompson was not so funny and sexy? <laughs>
0: Screenwriter like Emma Thompson, she is an Academy Award for for screenplay, sense and sensibility. Academy Award as an actress for uh, *Howard's End*, and you're right, she she really does easily go from being you know sort of out there you know a comedian you know in the film to being dramatic and poignant and heartfelt like that. Uh, So how impressed? Like, what were the things that impressed you the most about about watching
3: her in action. Her, her sort of indefatigable spirit, uh, Mindy talked about this, how like, there, there's a thing called coverage, so like when they shoot a scene, there's five actors, they have to get shots of every actor saying their lines, reacting. So the times where the camera wasn't even on Emma, and it was on one of us, Emma would still be giving like 110% performance as if the camera were on her. And that was really, really nice to see someone care that much about her fellow actors, that she was like, Every time <laughs> it was like
2: the Super Bowl, not a scrimmage. Oh, that's all. That's that's so precious. She also like, despite like you know, these uh, this you have this image of her and it's like it's almost like period, dang, period piece after She's couldn't be nicer and more approachable. Remember we were playing. You guys know the game Heads Up. Just <laughs> yeah. so yeah. like it's like a little guessing game. It's like an app on your phone, and like you know, it's basically charades. Like you can't see, but if I stop holding up right here, and it sounds like Will Ferrell. Are you in this Oh! Yeah. yeah. So we all started playing it one night, and every time it's was like, I wanna play, I wanna play this game. <laughs> it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. And, 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 it was and like and eight, eight actors uh, crammed into a room. Yeah. <laughs> and at one point, um, her name came up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're like, it's you. She goes, what do you mean? What? What? <laughs> 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 <so laughs> <cute. laughs>
0: I but, uh, yeah, she's, she's uh, I, I came home, I told my wife to go, is everything you hope she is in the world? Wow. Yeah. So, so, you know, this movie uh, was one of a bunch that I did see at Sundance, and I was immediately struck by just, A, how, how polished it, it, it was, like how, uh, how uh, you know, it felt like a big budget studio film, but also just how effortlessly it was, uh, you know, it, it put, it, it just was so uplifting, you know, yeah, the movie is over, and you felt good. Um, so with Nate Nisha Janatra just the perfect person to capture all of that?
1: Well, I, I mean, want to say, personal thank you for saying that. And also, it's hard to find independent film that is uplifting sometimes. <laughs> 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 it was, it, 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 because it is the place where, because of the smaller budgets, people can take risks and often tell personal stories that are, Sad. And demoralizing and shine a light on injustice, which is one of the great things about independent film. But um, the thing about this movie was that we wanted it to be a, like a wish fulfillment movie that made people excited about the new New York City. Um, and we wanted it to have serious you on the this, is, oh yeah, great, thank you. <laughs> that we wanted to do something a little different which is we wanted a movie like working girl like broadcast news like all the president's men that made you want to work at that place and move to washington dc move to new york city and we wanted it to look beautiful but we didn't have a ton of money i mean we shot this movie in 25 days wow Wow. Um, so probably like a third of what you'd get for one of those bigger bigger budget movies but to, to talk about nisha who was obviously so integral to being able to do all that um Nisha was someone who comes from an independent film. She is not scared of a 14 to 16 hour day, and we knew her from working with her on the Mindy Project. And she is a real actor's director. She um, she's very thoughtful and, and wants you know your performance is is sort of paramount for her.
0: You know there there is a tremendous amount of comedic talent who have gotten their their chops on on stand-up so taking your screenplay, how, how much was everyone encouraged to improvise and, and just sort of like go off the cuff and, and, and go beyond what was written? Um, I improvised everything, Mindy didn't write any of
3: it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> get on the fly for the moment my program like that it's weird I know um, no I, I actually I, I, I didn't improvise a whole lot only because I, I kind of came in for a day and then would go away and then come back a couple weeks later um, but when you're doing a show like The Mindy Project where you're going to do 117 episodes and a lot of times it's just like the two of us in a scene together like improvising feels just like natural and fun and it's just a good way for us to kind of find new things that the people in the writer's room didn't think of but and I do that with most movies I go into but for this movie I was very kind of trepidatious to improvise a whole lot only because (laughs) this really sounds like I'm blowing smoke but like this script when I read it it was like a it was like a like a fine wine you know what I mean it was like it was like a just a, a perfect meal, and I didn't want to like come in and be like, you know, what this needs more potatoes, you know. So I just was very kind of trepidatious. There were moments where, where uh, you guys, were like, you should improvise a little bit, but this was like one of the few times where I was like, I'm just gonna kind of skip the script a little bit here because it's all there. And, and, another
1: metaphor to talk about. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like a finely tuned Italian sports car. You know, I love cars. It's my true passion. <laughs>
1: That's so nice to I will say one of the funniest lines in the movie, I think, is a Paul, Paul improvised, which is when Emma goes around and it's the first time they've met all the writers, and John Early, who's so hilarious, also says, uh, you know, I just want to introduce my, I'm a huge fan. And then Paul improvised, yes, um, Ms. Newbury, when my parents were getting a divorce, and you know exactly where that's going, right? I'll let you talk about it, but it was so funny.
3: No, for the record, similar to Ike, like, like, I actually improvise more when I do drama than when I do comedy, because comedy, it is all, the funny's already there. But, um, there were little moments, for sure, like, where I knew Emma was supposed to cut me off, and we did four takes, so once I got the two scripted, I was like, I'm just gonna look like I'm about to pile on talking about my parents' divorce. Um, so there were little things like that, but but no, for sure, it's... It's comforting when it is funny enough. What sucks is when you get on a movie that isn't that funny. And everybody's like, hey, isn't it a riot? And then you're looking at your friends like, we're going to have to add some stuff. This is just one of those movies <laughs> you didn't have to be added in. it. It was just like, it was totally there. I, when I met
2: Emma Thompson, I apologize. I told you this already. I said to her, I go, Emma, I love you. I remember when I was 11, I, I saw Henry V in the Fine Arts Theater in Chicago. Uh, she goes, how old were you? And I said eleven. She goes, fuck off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the nice things about Anna is she's so. Like, most of the roles she's in, she's wearing a corset, right? So she's in these period movies, and then she, I, I found this very delightful. She would only wear different versions of Carhartt overalls. Oh, no, no. That was all she would wear in sneakers, never heels. And she's just one of the most. And she had a. She rented an apartment in the East Village. <laughs> And just instantly became the coolest person. She's so unpretentious. She's literally a dame, but she was just, just such a cool. Like she's acting like an NYU grad student. She's like walking around. It was it was so fun to work with someone who was so different than how you would think they would be. Oh
0: totally. So so there's a scene the, the scene at the beginning of the film when Molly first gets the job and she's sitting in the reception and she's like,
1: oh I'm so excited. She's,
0: Molly is so she's so positive. She's so idealistic and, and, and sweet, like she's infectious, you know, and it's like infectiously endearing. Like what was your moment, each of you, when you had that like real breakthrough moment where you were like,
1: oh my God, I'm so excited. Oh, so what was the moment for me in my life? Well, I was gonna say that it's it's nice that you bring up the Molly character because it was such an acting challenge to play this character because I normally play like sociopaths. Delusional <laughs> uh, women who take crazy steps so to play someone rounded and normal who you might know uh, that you're rooting for, you always feel conflicted about rooting for or, You know, she was just, that was, um, that was really, that was really challenging. So my moment of where I where in my life, personally, where I felt that way was when I was hired to write on The Office. And it was only for six episodes, for uh, that first season, but I was inexperienced enough to know that that I didn't know that that was not necessarily a good thing to get hired to be on a show that has only a six episode order. And I was sitting in my car, which was a render um And I had, um, and I was staying in a sublet in Miracle Mile and I remember I got a call from my agent saying that I was hired and I pulled over um, in front of Canners, which is like the loading area. Um, I pulled over in the loading area there and just cried and then I called my mom. So for me and, and to that experience and who, and I didn't even know that the office was going to become what it was, but I just thought Greg was so special, the original office was so special and uh, that Steve Carl was amazing. So that, that was my moment
2: jeez oh, um, I, 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 I I mean I really think back to um, when we first started doing Mindy you know uh, I got hired as a writer on that show and for years I, I would try to be in, on a TV show and like casting directors like no 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 your, your teeth are too strange or whatever <laughs> uh, uh and I remember, like, it's because you know you have to go through like a testing process. You know, if you want to be on a TV show, you have to go to the, the casting director, then the studio, and then the network. And I never would make it onto the air. And I remember, like, Mindy hired me and my my partner Davis as, as a writing team, and she was like, "I think you should be on the show." And uh, I thought I would be like, like you know, like a one-line episode, like a perverted janitor or something. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I remember the day that Mindy and uh, our our uh, head writer Matt Warburton came in and they showed me these sides for this character Morgan. And I remember right away being like, Oh my god, this character is so this is that you killed to play this part. Like in Hollywood, you work so hard to be on a bad show <laughs> and to get on a good show where they've written a part for you. And Mindy and Matt, God bless them, didn't make me audition for it. They're like, no, 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 we're just gonna kind of cram you down the network's throat. <laughs> and uh, I just, I think that moment where I was like, oh my God, we're gonna be on, i gonna be on a TV show and writing it. And, uh, and 117 episodes
3: later, we were we were here at Landmark. <laughs> 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 no, I'll say that. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think we all have moments of, like, thinking back to, you're giving me this look, like, what the hell is he gonna say? (laughs) We all have these moments where, like, even when we got a couple, like, lines on a co-star role in a sitcom, it did, it did feel really great, though, right? It was still monumental, even with that, so, for me, that moment happened way earlier, probably, when someone said, hey, how you doing, uh, let alone got a job, but I would say the job that freaked me out was auditioning for spike lee for black Klansmen because for me it was just like holy crap i get to meet spike lee doesn't matter if i get the part this is amazing holy crap and then i went in and improvised a lot knowing spike was the writer and kind of took a chance and i was playing a Klansman, so the improv wasn't real friendly <laughs> uh and i just kind of was trying to live in that space and give him what i thought maybe he wanted but also what i as an artistic person wanted and he wrote my cell number down the audition that was a moment he was like man give me your number run it down he's like come here and give me like a bro hug as i left the audition that was a moment of like oh, i feel like somebody got me like somebody got whatever it is i do and said yeah i want your thing that you do to be in my thing that i'm doing yeah. and it does feel and you can all attest like it feels good to feel got in any capacity it feels good when somebody looks at you and goes yeah man <laughs> So,
0: yeah I just love how this movie and we could talk about this the whole time how the movie does look at uh, like how the, you know there are diversity hires and and you know the, the workplace has has been due for a change for a long 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 time and and it's been happening it's still obviously a long way to go but we're some of the observations that that you've seen behind the scenes in the last couple of years
1: well, I think that there has been enormous change since even two years ago, and de- certainly from when I first started out in 2004. And um, the reason is, frankly, that people are now very vigilant because they're, they're worried about being publicly shamed. <laughs> so, which all this is helpful. But um, what was nice about what was nice about making this movie was there's this there's a, a scene and I can't really claim credit for it because I just wrote in an action line at the very end of the movie where we see what the writers' room looks like a year later, yeah. and how I get chills when I watch it. I had nothing to do yeah. with that and you know and that was really Nisha, uh the way that she filmed it, the way that she cast um, the, the other writers. But I um, was moved by that because it was like yeah it, it can be that easy. To have a room that has an active mix and you know an accurate representation of who's in the world in your workplace, um, but I, I've been I've I've been really heartened by it, and I also feel it's my responsibility to help change. So I have two shows, and there's more than gender parity on both of them, and there's a, a real a very big representation of, of minorities in both, and actually the material for both of them is is very, uh, very inclusive.
2: You know, uh, I agree, It's still a pretty far way to go, but I think just this movie existing the way it is, you know, if this was 10 years ago, this movie would be starring like Ashton Kutcher and Robert De Niro, <laughs> <laughs> it would be like directed by Michael Bay, <laughs> it would be a very different movie, <laughs> yeah, right. still a good movie, would love, love to see that movie, um, <laughs> but um, you know uh i, I think what, 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 I, I am so encouraged uh you know when i go uh, and i go show up to do an episode of the twilight zone and I, I meet this amazing woman named christina cho who's the director and uh so you do see um you do feel like the tide is turning and and uh, we need it to turn a little faster <laughs> i think still so. but um i think just the existence of this movie shows that we have um, come up quite a bit i say that as a white man um, but, um, but, yeah. <laughs> he's called me a piece of shit. I, hate, I gotta think against white guys. I look at Scott right now. But no, I think, it's, uh, I think we're definitely moving in the direct, right direction. I think that the fact that uh, this film is out there right now has proved positive of that, and I, I, I want more. Yes. I
3: love that face you made. Um, first off, props to Mini for actually putting it into practice. Because we can all get on Twitter and tell everybody how we feel, and it's like yelling into a pillow. Um, uh, A righteous anger should lead to righteous action, and just like if someone who used to eat burgers with you said, I'm a vegan now, you'd much rather see them eat vegan food than remind you that they're vegan every time you see them. Um, so like, we just have to live these things that we care about. We have to live them, and pretty soon people will go, these people I love are acting differently than I've acted, and maybe I should look into that. So hopefully Hollywood is going to continue being a landmark <laughs> for that type of behavior. I'll never work again. Thank you.
0: I'm so sorry about that, you guys. Take a couple questions from the audience if he right here you, nice and loud. Great question. Let me repeat that. So the question is: What is the difference between writing for your own for your own shows and writing for yourself versus writing for other characters? Great.
1: Um, you know, that's a great question. I I'm not sure that there is a big difference from what I'm writing for myself and writing for other characters. One thing I was very acutely aware of when writing a movie was that. I only had one opportunity to nail all the characters. Sometimes in a show, you'll do something, and you'll have, like, at the office, I would go one episode where Kelly had one line, and it was fine, because you knew we had so many other episodes to do it. So the challenge in writing a movie is to really make sure that every character is good and had an arc, and I didn't want,
3: you know, all of the writers at the end
1: to be villains. I wanted them to go on a journey as well, and to, at the end of it, you're like, oh, they're not, just jerks they just were you know used to more privilege or right now they're they, are, they are allies so that was um, that was was difficult for me but in terms of writing for the other characters pretty much the same when, about the writing in this movie the real challenge was the fact that I was doing like four different kinds of writing in it I was doing dialogue writing which I'm used to for my shows but then I was writing stand-up comedy which then I had to write stand-up comedy that was bad, which she's doing badly, and then writing stand-up comedy that killed such that an audience went crazy. I And then I also had to write monologue jokes for a talk show. So uh, the research that went into doing that, I mean, there are people who work on these shows who their entire job is writing monologue jokes. So that is a really hard thing to, to try to pick up. So I, I just did a ton of research and I had um, friends who work on shows help me, help me on that, but that was actually kind of the bigger, bigger challenge.
0: Great question, thank you very much. Okay, who else has a question? Yes, you, nice and loud, please. Uh,
3: have you ever considered becoming a late-night host at some point in <laughs> <laughs> Oh, have
0: you ever considered becoming a late-night
1: host? Uh, this is a great question. I would love to hear your guys' take on it because we all love late-night shows. I'd like to hear, what would you guys think at
0: all? Uh,
2: I think you should replace Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't like him, I don't like his people, and I think it's time for a change, and that change starts here. Am I right, people? He's my friend, he's, he's the best. I, 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 would I ever do it? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just like, it's a grind, you know, it's a grind, it's
3: like, you know, you wake up every day, but uh, it's, it's a, it seems like a lot of fun. What about you? I think I would do it, but I would probably get fired for laughing at my own jokes be like, this guy is really
1: annoying, we've
3: made a huge mistake. I probably can't make the landmark puns if
1: you are doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in watching so much stand um, late-night talk shows, uh, I have found it to be so challenging. I really have such respect for the people who do it. They're mostly men who do it, but you know Samantha B and now Lily Singh is coming out, which will be really exciting. Um, but Seth it Meyer is in the movie. Seth Meyers who's in the movie, who, who is who did the tremendous favor of taking out time to come and be in the movie. It was so funny, I thought. But I, uh, I think it takes a lot of work and being able to be good at a lot of different things and it's incredibly tedious and you know it's it's not like these you do a show and you do it for eight years at the most or ten or something if it's like cheers but this is like being a monarch when you have a late night talk show you do it for till you die you do it for 40 years it's supposed to be and you have to give up on, you have to give up a lot of other stuff. Those guys are all doing fine. I'm not feeling bad for them. But all this to say, I just think it's a it's a very challenging job. So I, I personally don't think I would be good at it. And I probably wouldn't have not liked it. I, I just want to
3: say really quick, I love the part in the script and in the movie where uh, Emma has to talk to like the teenage vampire girl or whatever because like that's so true that when you watch late-night shows sometimes Jimmy Fallon is sitting there just going oh, God. Oh, I love you and it's like dude, you have to have this amount of enthusiasm for like everybody you talk to and there's no way They're that excited to meet everyone they talk to. So have
1: that attention for the fourth lead on a new ABC sitcom and you're like that's amazing what an anecdote like it's a lie. <laughs>
0: Well ladies and gentlemen, so so this is really, really important. So now that Late Night is in theaters in in LA and New York, and it goes wide next weekend, how do people spread the word on movies these days? They spread it through word of mouth. And what is word of mouth these days? It's social media. So you're I know you're I know you're on Facebook. I know you're on Facebook. Okay. So make sure y'all go on your Facebook pages, tell all your friends, go on Twitter, tell your hundreds of thousands of followers, go on Instagram, post photos of My this movie true. poster, go on MySpace. My if you're still using MySpace, spread the word about late night, ladies and gentlemen. Get everyone to see this movie.
3: <laughs>